approach anyone that you want to love or help any neighbor that you're moving toward as this is the person we are going to mutually love one another. I'm not bringing it all to the table. We're going to come together. We're going to build relationship and we are both going to grow and flourish as a result. And that doesn't matter if that's a kid that you're taking into your home, you are going to grow because of that kid. That kid is going to bring so much into your home that is going to bless you and benefit you. Or if it's a lonely neighbor that you invite over for dinner, that neighbor is going to bless you. If it's a woman that you talk with who's homeless on the street and asks you for a couple of bucks and you take her for coffee, you should assume that she is going to bless you and that she's going to bring something to you that you didn't have before and you're going to need it. If we go in as saviors that say, I'm bringing it all to the table, I'm the expert, I'm the great hope of humanity or this particular situation, you're probably going to make mistakes and you're going to be a jerk because you're not going to hear that person. You're not going to really see them. Welcome to another episode of Undiscussed, the podcast where we talk about things Christians should talk about, but often don't. I'm Caroline. And I'm Eric. And we're flipping around our format today, which we I'm are. totally fine with. We're flipping it on its head because <laughs> yeah. uh, that's we like to live dangerously and we like to... Make people uncomfortable? I mean, I do. <laughs> I uh, do too. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. And we've got an excellent, excellent episode today because we're talking about adoption and foster care and those sorts of things. And we have an excellent guest. I'm so excited for her. Her name is Wendy, Wendy Stringer. Stringer. We didn't even practice that. That no. was good. <laughs> Welcome, Hi, Wendy. Wendy. Hi. And we are actually, uh, for those who are not here with us, we're actually in Wendy's home. She's hosting us. And, and it's incredible. And when I say hosting, I mean really hosting. We walked into like a spread of food. She roasted she roasted. She made some coffee. I don't think he roasted the beans. I, I didn't. That would have yeah. been incredible. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it past you. It It, it is beautiful and uh, we're just loving it. And we're so glad to uh, be here because we're... I mean, we're fast friends. We're good friends with Wendy now. It's good. She's incredible. How can you not be fast friends with her? You're an Enneagram too, which I, I also am. am. So I'm already feeling the vibes. Yeah, we, we have a connection <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so maybe could you introduce yourself a little bit so that everyone else of our listeners can like love you as much as we do? Yeah. What well, do you that, do? What's what's for fun? Tell yeah. us about your lovely home here in Toronto. Your family, those sorts of things. Sure. My name is Wendy Stringer, and um, I uh, am the wife of Kiernan Stringer, uh, a funny Irishman. Um, I have seven kids that I love. They're 14 to 25 years of age, um, almost grown and left. I work for Grace Toronto Church, which is right downtown. I work with their discipleship program there. I Downtown. Downtown Toronto. Apologies. Yeah, there are um, there are more cities in the world. There are, <laughs> although I sometimes forget that. I admit. Um, I work for Grace Toronto Church um, in their discipleship program, sort of leading that and seeing disciples made to go out and love their neighbor um, as themselves. 
Um, and some things that I love. I love strong coffee. I love growing things and I love my dog and my cat. And mm. I love quiet. Um, so I Seven kids and you love quiet. I that know. feels a little... It's been a little harrowing, but it means you get up super early in the morning and then when they toddle out of bed, you say, no, I'm not ready for you. Go back to bed. And, and they do. So that's pretty great. And I think that's about it. That's all I have for me. Mm. I mean, you are wearing an introvert shirt right now. It says introverted, but willing to talk about plants. That's right. Which, and hopefully Jesus. But <laughs> Yes, I will, I will discuss him. <laughs> Only if it starts with a plant metaphor. Though. Yeah. Fortunately, there's many of those in the Bible, so I can do that. I know. Yep. You have quite a few plants around this house as well, too. Yeah, I do. And yes. they're all alive, right? They're all alive what, so far. Do you have a, do you have a favorite plant? Mm, I like plants that make food mostly. So mm. we have a, a, a vegetable garden in the back and I, that, those are the plants do. I love most. Yeah, of course. Hmm. I can dig that. Mm. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't even mean to do that. I, <laughs> I did not. <laughs> terrible. It was I, terrible. I'm a dad, so I'm entitled to make bad jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. Well, we're talking about adoption today and foster care. And I wonder if maybe you could... Uh, Tell us a bit of your experience with with those uh, topics. Sure. It, my experience starts pretty early. I was um, given up for adoption um, right away after birth, um, and I stayed with a foster mom for nine months, and then I was adopted into uh, the family that I'm, I'm with now. Um, I was adopted by parents who um, had their own three biological children, and who told me for as long as I can remember that I was adopted, I always knew. And I always knew that they specifically chose me, which was um, an important thing for me to know. Um, I feel like I need to give full disclosure so that, um, because I don't wanna be disingenuous. I think if we're gonna have this conversation, I wanna be super honest and um, just to say that my biological family members Um, from my biological family did find me and reach out to me Um, and after some discussion I did decide to decline sort of pursuing a relationship with them and meeting them Um, I just I wasn't ready in that particular time of my life and I haven't to be honest um, given it maybe the space I need to think about is that something that I would pursue now that my kids are are growing up Um, So I just want to be really honest about that. I don't want to be disingenuous. Um, So there's that experience being um, given up immediately after birth, um, being with a foster parent for nine months who I don't know, but I understand was very loving, and then being adopted um, by a family. Um, And that is my family. It's been my family my whole life. Um, But then um, maybe eight, nine years ago, nine, ten years ago now, Um, one of my son's very best friends showed up on our doorstep and just said that he was really struggling and he was wondering if he could come and live with us. And we had a really good relationship with him and with his mom. And so after we um, spoke with her, he did live with us for eight years and just moved out last year. Um, So that would be my my experience. That's the Coles notes. Yeah, that's short and brief. Thank you. Thank you for sharing and trusting us as well as our listeners with that. Mm. It was really wonderful. I'm kind of curious um, with your experience of being adopted, uh, what has the impact kind of been like for you? How have you processed that? How do you feel about 
knowing that was part of your story growing mm-hmm. up. Um, yeah, I'm really curious. Yeah. I think um, something that's been super wonderful about my parents who adopted me is that from the very beginning, they said, you have been adopted. And what that means is we chose you and your mother was really brave to have you. She was quite young. I believe she was in university about 19 mm-hmm. years of age um, and just not ready to raise a child. Um, and I knew all of this growing up. I can't remember not knowing that. Um, and that my parents specifically chose me, that they this was something that they really wanted. They wanted me. So that's a kind of a beautiful way to grow up. Those are good things to know. And if parents are thinking of adopting, I do think it's really important that kids always know that they were adopted and not to try to hide that or to shelter them. Just drop it in as you teach them how to walk or what. I don't know when you would, but just keep that information up at the front so the child always knows. Those are the good impacts. But I think what was difficult was knowing that um, I had a mom and a dad that I didn't know who didn't want me. And I understand that that's very, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. Um, I think probably, well, because I've been in contact um, with one of them, I think probably they did want me, but couldn't. But when you're a child growing up and your story has always been, you were adopted and we chose you, that's the good side. But what you know, what you intuit is that means that there were parents out there who you think didn't want you. And there's a wounding in that, even though I think adoption is a really beautiful thing. And unfortunately, because the world is broken, it's it's really necessary. And God has a lot to say about it. And we should do it um, for adopted kids and fostered kids. There is a there is a heartbreak that comes with that, knowing that the person who's supposed to mo- love you most gave you up. It hurts. Yeah. And I'm really curious, like, how do you reconcile that now as an adult? Mm-hmm. And understand you have seven kids. Mm-hmm. I'm sure your perspective is much wider and broader than, you know, obviously when you're with as a kid. Mm-hmm. So being candid, um, having kids actually um, brought the herd up closer to the surface. Um, as a young person and a teenager and, and early 20s, I was very adamant that my birth mother was an incredibly brave woman, that she would carry to term a child that she knew she wouldn't keep in a day where she, she could have had an abortion. That, that I think that was a possibility, um, but chose to do something different that means that I have life. And I, I still believe that very much. I think what happened when I had children, um, I, I remember... I remember for one thing, looking at my son, Brendan, I was giving him a bath and he was just a little man, he was about six months old, and realizing that this is the first human being on earth that I've ever touched who has the same, the same, he's from my body. We, we, we have um, something biologically in common and it really hit me, oh my gosh, like I've never held, touched a person who is physically connected to me um, and that really hit and it, it motivated me to look for to request non-identifying information from the CAS which is just information like your mother was from this place she had this color eyes she was this height she has no illnesses that you need to know of hereditary diseases or whatever your father was this their their backgrounds were this that kind of thing I thought I think I want to receive non-identifying information which means that I get all of that 
but the biological family is not contacted at all, so there's no relationship built. As the years went on and I became more and more invested in, in being a mom, sort of in an unhealthy way, probably because of abandonment issues and issues surrounding wanting to um, really love well and be a mother who is there. Um, when I started to have contact with my biological family, a couple members of my biological family, I was I was very bizarrely resistant to it. So we would write back and forth. They would write, they'd send an email, and it would be a long time before I would respond. Um, they were asking, you know, can we meet? I was not being very forthcoming with that. Um, and I was wondering, what is this in me that keeps me from moving towards them in love. Um, and I realized that I was angry, which came out when one of my family members, my biological family members, just asked the simple and honest question, or maybe made the statement, I don't understand how come it's taking you so long for us to meet, mm. which is a fair thing to say. I was enraged. I could not, I was like, are you kidding me? And this is what came out of me. And I'm not saying this is right. This is just the honest truth of what came out of me. You made a choice that I've had to live with for all of my life that I had no say in. And now that I've moved on, and I was in my 30s at this point, I've moved on and built my life. Now you're coming in and you're making demands on me you, you, I've had to live with the choice you made. Now you live with the choice that you've made. I'm not ready. I never said this to them. Um, it was just the anger that erupted out of my heart. And I'm not saying that it was the correct way to think about it at all, because I don't think it was easy for them. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of pain for them as well, knowing that somebody who they actually love is out there, doesn't know them, and doesn't have the same feelings of love for them that maybe they they have for the child that they gave up. I realized there's sort of a, a harshness to my response, but I realized, whoa, I'm angry. I'm not just um, all admiration for her heroic sacrifice, and I'm not just hesitant to meet them. I'm actually mad. And uh, I, I'm not sure how I got to this place, but that's where I'm, I'm at now. Mm -hmm. And I remember you said um, also that you decided not to be in contact. And so what has the impact kind of been like for you emotionally, as you parent, mm. um, to kind of wrestle with that kind of decision? Because that's a hard decision to make. Mm -hmm. Healthy, not healthy. Like there's many reasons someone could have behind it. Yeah. I think there's been s seasons where I'm quite sure I, I'm not ready to introduce into um, my family's life, my children, my husband, my, my adoptive parents, my adoptive family's life, um, another family. It's, it's a lot. Um, my adoptive family, actually, there's been a lot of, it's, it's a little bit messy as well. So there's already things for us to work through and work at as people who have been committed to each other for the last many years. Um, I'm talking about my adoptive family ways that we have to really work at loving each other um, when that's not always easy. So the idea of introducing another family that none of us knows um, and kind of bringing up 
um, yeah, sort of the painful, messy places that will obviously have to be brought up. Um, I think to myself, it's not the time for that. It's not the season. But there are other times when I think about it, I'm, I feel very guilty. I know them both by name because we wrote letters to each other. And I do think about them. What are they doing? How are they doing? Um, is what I'm doing what God would want me to do? Am I following Jesus faithfully by refusing to contact them or meet them? I do have those thoughts. Um, and sometimes I feel like the Spirit is sort of convicting me. Um, and then other times I feel very fine not thinking about it at all because it's kind of a messy place that I don't really want to walk into. Um, and I, I realize it'll be a lifetime of trying to move towards people in love and it'll be difficult. And to be quite honest, I don't want to do that work. Um, so that's the mess of it. Um, that's the truthful mess of it. Yeah. So one thing I'm curious about, um, and this uh, is really present in my journey with faith right now as well, is a lot of the language and understanding of your relationship with God is described in terms that are like family oriented mm -hmm. and, and things like that in the Bible. And I'm wondering how your experience of being an adopted kid, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, kid who has adopted people first, Thank you. <laughs> um, I'll get back to the question. How, <laughs> how has that um, affected or shaped or, or those things of your, your relationship with God? Mm -hmm. um, I came to faith later in life. So I lived um, a whole maybe... Later is in... Yeah, I lived probably a whole 13 years not having any kind of spiritual belief or language. My parents were um, quite happy, um, I would say secular humanist feminists. They were a part of the hippie movement and enjoyed it thoroughly in all of its aspects. And we were raised um, with a strong belief in ourselves and in the power of um, just kind of human beings being able to make the world a better place. So I had no no language for any kind of spirituality or faith. And then um, my father, when he um, remarried, when our stepmom came into the home, she said to my dad, um, these kids need some morals. There were four of us and we were a little unruly, I suppose. We're kind of, you know, all, my dad raised us for a long time, so we were kind of a bit of a mess. Um, in terms of he did a wonderful job in terms of loving us, but in terms of us being kept and, you know, um, on track, I think there were some things that were a little loose. So we started going to church and that was the first, um, sort of introduction to, um, a God and a book that he wrote and a father. Did she have a faith? Or was it more the moralistic? Yeah, she had grown up in the United Church, so I think she just kind of had an idea about the like the morals and and the maybe the goodness of the church and the, its ability to help. They were actually they went to Good Shepherd Community Church. That's one of the first churches they went to. It's in Scarborough still, and they were both they actually both became Christians relatively quickly in attendance there. And we would go to Sunday school. Oof. Anyway, that was always hard to go to Sunday school, but um, all of that to say, 
I grew up without any sense of um, a father. And so I think when you grow up a long time believing that your primary parent, your biological parents left you, um, and then when your adoptive life is a little bit messy and the family's not perfect and beautiful, you acquire some sort of dysfunctional ways of being and interacting with people and, and really warped beliefs about who you are. And mine was, if my parents gave me up for adoption and then my adoptive mother left when I was six and then my dad struggled to raise us until I was 13 by himself. I don't really have a parent that I feel, I feel like I'm a burden and that I'm not worth loving and sticking around for. I feel like maybe I'm not enough of anything and who could really love me anyway? And then you insert this language of God being our father that he never leaves or forsakes, um, that um, he rejoices over us with gladness, he quiets us with his love um, and, and rejoices over us with loud singing. You're kind of like, that sounds good, but I don't really believe it. And here I am 50, and this is still something that I struggle to believe in um, a heavenly father's love that just eclipses every other kind of love and is surer than the chair that I'm sitting on right now every day moment by moment i see myself engaging in sort of life or dysfunctional behaviors that indicate that that is still a thing i'm struggling to believe that he is my heavenly father that he has a deep love for me that can never change he's not going to take me back to cas i'm his forever not because of duty but because he wants it and he's made it so that's got to be the hardest thing for me to believe about God. And I struggle to believe it still. The, the funny thing about that, I can relate um, to not all of it, but some of it, um, is that I can do, well, as imperfectly as I can, I can do that for my kids. Mm. So yep. I can look at my kids and say, nothing could make me love you less yeah. and I will never leave you. Mm -hmm. And I would rather go to your hockey game and watch you play than go to watch the Leafs or yeah. the Penguins. My son's a Penguins yeah. fan. <laughs> and like, you're more important to me than Sidney Crosby. Mm. And like my kid, he he's like, like I, that's impossible. I, mm. I don't get that. And it's like, that makes perfect sense to me. But then when I translate it and try to put myself in the in the kid place and, mm. and see God, my father, I'm like, well, no. Mm -hmm. If I perform or mm -hmm. if I, like, God loves me when I'm praying or God mm -hmm. loves me when I'm doing ministry or God, but like, when I'm just me or does he love me then? And, yeah. and like, even just now, like I'm 40 and that's so hard. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know what else I want to say about it, but I relate to you. Yeah. And um, and I think that being a parent, like, doesn't fix it, but it shows you, it gives you examples, gives mm -hmm. you a mirror maybe to see those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. What is it that I think Jesus says something like, which one of you, if your child asks for bread, will give them a snake? And we're all like, what kind of terrible parent would do something like that, right? I mean, I think you're right. What I'm saying is I think it's true that um, as a parent, when you love your kids, you realize that there's a love that's possible, even though you know that, you know, 
it's not even close to perfect and you hurt your kids and all that. But it does sort of awaken a sense of maybe there is a love like that that's possible. A love that can love no matter what. Maybe that is possible. That It was helpful for me to have kids as well to see that there is a love that's possible. But not just only the love that I give my kids, um, but the love that my kids give me as well, which can mm. be very unconditional when I've been a real jerk. And, and I can be. I have a, a quick temper. Um, when I go to them to ask for forgiveness, how quick they are to give it. Or if you don't have kids, you know, there's people in the church that are like that, that demonstrate that kind of fatherly, unconditional love in a way. It's, it's, it's almost like they're a vehicle for God's love, the Father's love to pass through them to us. And we see that there is unconditional love that's possible. I think it's one of the beautiful things about being part of the church, part of community, is that a love that we can't quite lay hold of, the Father's love, which just seems so lofty and unattainable, through the community, we get to experience it through each other if we will open ourselves to one another. Mm-hmm. Mm. I kind of want to just go a bit more into, you mentioned before at the very beginning how your son's best friend came to live with you, mm. your family. And so I'm curious, how has that been in that journey, that impact? I think you said it was eight years that mm-hmm. that happened. Yeah, like what was the hardest part of that? Mm. What was the easiest part? I know it's probably you bring your own things being adopted and mm. then having seven kids in the mix of that as well too, to have another child mm. within that. I couldn't. Now, do you include him in that seven? Yes. Yes, that's what oh. I thought. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. He's going to yeah. cry. Yeah. He's included in one of those seven. So um, he showed up um, at our door asking, you know, I, I told my mom that I'm, I'm going to come and live with you. And we're like, oh. So we called, we spoke with her, and she was fine with it because um, the reason why she was fine with it was that she had worked, um, she had left their home country left her kids, four of them, and her husband in her home country so she could come to Canada and sponsor them to move here as well. And it took her nine years where she was separated from her kids. It was so um, intense and intensely difficult, and she did it because she loved them. Um, When um, they did arrive nine years later, um, she and her husband divorced, and the kids were all living with her. And she was the sole provider of the home, Um, and she had to work two, three jobs in order to provide well for them. So it meant that she wasn't home a lot, not because she was neglecting them, but because she was trying to keep a roof over their head, food on the table, and that kind of thing. She was being a provider, and a good one, too. Uh, And she sacrificed so much to do that. Um, What it meant, though, when his older siblings grew up and moved away was that he was home alone a lot. And he was home alone during um, middle school and high school. And... um, He had a learning disability and he was struggling in school and he was kind of getting in with some older kids that were getting him into some bad stuff. And so she was happy to have him come and live with us because I was a stay-at-home mom at that time and there were all these siblings that he already got along with. So that's how it came to happen. The impact was actually he came during a season where my husband Kiernan was experiencing a very deep bout of clinical depression and he was being treated and we were taking a sabbatical to sort of heal and rest a sabbatical from ministry and so the house um, lost some of its fun and nonsense it was a quieter home and we were struggling and the kids were struggling to see their dad so sad and then he comes this boy 
if you could see him, he has the biggest grin. It's filled with just so many perfectly white straight teeth and it goes from ear to ear and so much laughter and, um, and so much love and just very pure acceptance of all people, no matter what. And there was just an, an incredible joy that came with him living with us. Um, I'm so, I can't believe what a gift mm. he was um, and is. I can't believe that the Lord would give us um, a family member who would love us so purely and with so much fun and so much intensity. Uh, it was so good. We needed him so much. And it turned out that um, he needed us. And so he has been part of our family ever since. He's still here all the time, um, comes for Christmas and birthdays and hangs out on weekends and uh, fixes our car. He's a mechanic when we need it to be fixed. And he's just a great kid. It's been so good having him as part of our family. Just give Caroline a moment to cry. No, I'm feeling it, yeah. <laughs> Always. This whole thing, I knew it was going to make me cry. Yeah. I would like to hear from your perspective, uh, <laughs> like, what the Bible has to say about adoption from your point of view and, and like, what we as, uh, as people of faith can, can learn about adoption from, mm. from the Bible. Yeah. It, I think um, God talks about the orphan and the widow and the foreigner and the sojourner so often in the scriptures. Um, it's his heart. And to welcome people into our families, people who maybe don't have families for whatever reason, uh, family members have died, uh, so they're orphans or widows, or they've been ripped out of their, their home countries or home cities, and they're just traveling and wandering, trying to find a place to call home. Um, and I think that God, um, as our Father, has a big heart for people who are, are missing home and missing family. And he calls the church, he calls the body of Christ to be that home and to be that family. And he, he does it often, um, which we don't always um, think about, uh, but he does. I know that in Psalm ten eighteen um, it says in that Psalm, but you God see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Uh, and then in Psalm 68, he says, Father to the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. And this idea of God taking people who don't belong or who have lost the people that are family, and he takes them in hand, and he's building home for them. But then I think that forces us to ask the question, well, is that true? Because there's still lots of people out there that don't really have family. They're still really super lonely. There's lots of orphans that don't have parents and widows who... Uh, and widowers don't have spouses, um, sojourners and foreigners who are just wandering around without home. Like how, you know, God makes this promise, but it's not even happening. I think that comes then on us, the church, um, because if it's not helping happening and if there are people who are without home and family, that's on us because God clearly says um, in James one twenty seven that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And then in Deuteronomy um, 14, he's giving these commandments to the people of God, how they should care for people who don't have homes like the priests, 
um, and, and also sojourners and widows. And he says this, um, and the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord God may bless you in all the work of your hands. The Bible says that God has a heart for people without home and family, and he says that he wants to use his home and his family, the church, to extend that to the world, the broken world, the watching world. And when we're too afraid to move into those messy places, then... Um, that work is not being done. And I mean, maybe then our religion isn't as pure and undefiled as we like to think. We've got the doctrine all in order. Um, we've Our Sunday services are, you know, beautiful. Um, it looks all good on the outside, but if we are not taking care of the orphan and the widow, James tells us that's not pure and undefiled religion. Wow. I think it's good to remember that and to even just understand that the lonely, the orphan, the widow, they look different than um, they probably did in the Old Testament times. Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays, they can be people who are just displaced mm -hmm. or they can be people who like live in a different community than their family because of work or mm -hmm. the other things and the church can come around those people as well mm -hmm. and i think um i think it's it's really cool that that god allows us to be a part of uh being family mm -hmm. uh for others and and that we call ourselves the family of god and those mm -hmm. sorts of things my my son always jokes He's like, Dad, we're brothers. <laughs> he's like, That's awesome. He's like, you're my brother. You're not just my dad. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> he's right. It's awesome. It is awesome, <laughs> and I love it. And he's very soon gonna stop doing that because it's not cool. But um, I'll I'll just relish in it right now. Just yeah, take it all in now. Record it. Yeah. So you have it later. I like that you <laughs> said that actually, Eric, because. If you think, like, I'm assuming that this podcast goes out to students, and they're not probably, most of them, in a position to adopt or foster. And so what does it mean to build home and family with their neighbor, the people that they know, that they sit beside in class, or whatever that it may be, live beside in, in dorm? Um, and I, yeah, orphan, orphans and widows, maybe they're not, but they are people who might feel, as you say, displaced or lonely or without family in this an invitation to invite your neighbor in, to move in towards your neighbor in love and, and to not move away from them in fear, to invite them for coffee or, or a beer if you're of age or whatever it may be, right? Um, and to look to build intentional, beautiful relationships. Because, man, in this city, I don't know if you feel this. I know you're from Guelph, but when you come here and you walk through here, like, do you feel like it's just a lonely city? People are lonely and afraid. If you make eye contact, they're like, what, that lady's gonna like hit me up for some cash or something. They don't know what to think. You smile at them and they're really scared. People are afraid and they're so lonely. And I think students have an opportunity to, yeah, change the world that way, a person at a time. I know it sounds totally cheesy, but I think they do by just loving a person and being a really good neighbor to them wherever they're at and inviting them into home and into family. Okay, so I got a really hard question now. How do we balance the rights and dignity of mm. adoptees and like saviorism mm. within like families who adopt mm. and the rights of the kids and also like 
pure motives mm-hmm. and like this is a balancing that balancing. desire to help because i think like even you explored so much of the bible's heart like god's heart is to see family on so many different spheres um and like i love that you brought up you know you can build family wherever mm-hmm. you are as well too you don't need to be in a place of being a parent mm-hmm. you know whether that means i don't know the random kid who shows up in your door or mm-hmm. like your your roommate whatever it looks like but and I think, so this can even be a like applicable concept to anything, even just the desire to help in general. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that with that saviorism that I think mm. just naturally in our culture and sin, like we just desire to be seen as this pure and like mm. wonderful human being who's come in to save. Um, yeah. I think um, this, any kind of um, helping, any kind of mercy and justice, any kind of social justice, whatever you want to call it, needs to begin, I, I believe, with listening. Not going in as an expert or as a savior, but going to the experts, which are typically the people that you're helping. You know, they know who they are. They know what they need. I, I mean, we are not the experts. So I want to um, do whatever it is. I want to um, adopt. I want to... Um, I don't know, build a home for teenage girls who are living on the streets. It just seems it makes sense to me that you're actually going to go to the experts with a listening ear, asking really good questions, letting them challenge you and tell you what they see the needs to be. Just assume you don't know what the needs are. You have some good guesses, maybe some bad guesses. Let's see how that pans out, but go to the experts first. That stuff should always start with listening. But the other thing is, to approach anyone that you want to love or help any neighbor that you're moving toward as this is the person we are going to mutually love one another i'm not bringing it all to the table we're going to come together we're going to build relationship and we are both going to grow and flourish as a result and that doesn't matter if that's a kid that you're taking into your home you are going to grow because of that kid that kid is going to bring so much into your home that is going to bless you and benefit you or if it's a lonely neighbor that you invite over for dinner, that neighbor is going to bless you. If it's a woman that you talk with who's homeless on the street and asks you for a couple of bucks and you take her for coffee, you should assume that she is going to bless you and that she's gonna bring something to you that you didn't have before and you're gonna need it. If we go in as saviors that say, I'm bringing it all to the table, I'm the expert, I'm the great hope of humanity or this particular situation, you're probably gonna make mistakes and you're gonna be a jerk because you're not gonna hear that person. You're not gonna really see them. You're not really concerned about building a relationship. You're more concerned about righting the world of its wrongs and being sort of the savior. It's gonna go badly. Mm. Just expect that when you move towards a neighbor, whatever capacity that may be, there's gonna be blessing to go around. They're gonna bless you, you're gonna bless them. Yeah, I think that's great. Cause like in some ways, Obviously, not if people do, I don't know, go into it being like, I'm going to solve all these problems. But I think subtly, even subconsciously, you can have those expectations. Mm -hmm. But to kind of change the framework of how you're going about it, being like, I'm going to be blessed with this, which you, I think some people might be like, oh, that sounds so selfish. But it's Mm -hmm. like, it's a two-way street, kind of like you said, it's a mutual building. And so to kind of go in with that perspective, regardless who it is, whether you're adopting, whether you're hanging out with your neighbor who may be lonely. I think that, yeah, now I'm like, how could that change even the way I interact with people being like, I'm going to be blessed from this. It's Mm -hmm. not just what I'm offering. It's 
I'm going to receive and understand God more through the character and circumstance of this individual mm-hmm. is like, I'm going to have to sit and process that a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if every human is made in the image of God and we believe that they are, and if they all have their own experiences and unique gifts and talents and passions, then obviously they're going to always bring, every single one of them is going to bring something to the table. Mm-hmm. Every single one. I love the the Larsh community. Um, they're great. Yeah, they are great, even though you know they've had some struggles just as of late. But they're a beautiful community because I think their tagline is something like, um, a community of people with disabilities and without disabilities who, I, and I don't know the rest, but it's the idea that everybody comes together and they bring something to the table of value and they bless one another in their community with that. There's something glorious about that idea where it's recognizing the inherent dignity, value, and contribution in every single human being, no matter what their circumstances are. Um, and it just takes, it removes the experts almost um, from the conversation. It makes us all just people who are gathering together, collaborating, talking, growing, serving one another. So if someone were to say, be thinking about adoption, whether in you know the forefront of their life or more in the future, what would be something that you would want to say or you'd hope that they know before they kind of take those steps? Because mm. I think for me, like, I thought about adopting when I was like 16. I was like, mm. that's always something that I desire to do. Yes. And obviously now that I'm married and been married for a little bit and thinking about that future, it's a bit more in the forefront of our minds. But even I think speaking to people who are young and desiring to pursue that in the future, what would you want them to know or what would you want to say to them? Um, I would say that that's, if there's a, a believer who is seeking to adopt, I would say that that is Um, a direct reflection of the spirit of Christ living within them. That that is God's holy desire, that people would bring other people into family. And that I would say that that's just such a proof of God's working in your heart and in your life, if that's your desire. He is so passionate about bringing people into family and into home. He talks about um, the orphan, the widow, those that society would marginalize Um, more than almost anybody in the entirety of the scriptures. And so if there's a person, anyone out there listening who has a desire to bring um, someone um, into their family so that they can love one another and grow together and build a home together, I would say that is exactly the Heavenly Father's work in your life and you should pursue it. I think of Ephesians 2.10, it says that um, we are Christ's workmanship and he has prepared in advance good works for us to do that we may walk in them. And that would be one of those good works. If a person has a desire to adopt or foster a child, I would say that is the good work that Christ has prepared in advance for you to do and go walk in it. We often ask our guests uh, about what they see or witness uh, in the church uh, in relation to the subject we're talking about. So mm. um, we start with poor and, and on a happy note. Yeah, so good. what do you see in the church, um, probably in the Western church more mm. uh, is our exposure, but uh, in terms of adop- in terms of adoption or foster care, what are we doing poorly? Mm. And then we'll go to what are we doing well? Sure. Mm-hmm. Like why don't more Christians adopt? Mm. You would think if it's so riddled through scripture, we would see... And being the highest adopters out there. Hmm. Yeah. 
I can't speak for the World Church or even the Canadian Church. I'm not sure how they're doing with adoption and fostering. I know from my exposure in some of the churches in Toronto or the greater Toronto area, um, I do see that in terms of um, sermons and Bible studies, that this is not, it's not a focus or the, or the forefront very often, if at all. So when I sit in the pew on a Sunday, it's if I'm t- if I'm hearing something about adoption, it's usually, you know, part of the order of salvation that God adopts His children um, as part of salvation. It's not normally about the orphan uh, and, and the child who doesn't have parents. Not that I've heard in my church experience. And why not? Because I think it's messy and scary, the idea of inviting a child to live with you, um, to make home with them. We know it's going to be messy and difficult. We know it's not going to come easy. And I think we have a lot of questions around it. What if the kid is really angry? What if the kid doesn't respond to me and and doesn't want to receive my love? What if I don't love that kid well? You know, what if I'm not prepared? What if they don't get along with my other kids? Um, what if that child has been through so much trauma and difficulty um, and it just makes life hard? And so I think we don't explore it. I think maybe we avoid, you know, James one twenty seven. you know, pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit the orphan and the widow. I think it's... It's a scary thought to be that committed to moving towards a neighbor in love to the extent that you say, come make home with me. That is like, that's a crazy thing to do. I didn't even sign up for it. I'm not like you, Carolyn. I wasn't like, I'm going to adopt kids. I was like, um, no, I never thought of it really, to be honest about adopting I've thought of fostering since, but in the beginning, I just wanted to have my own kids. And this guy, 16-year-old boy, ended up coming to my doorstep and basically the Holy Spirit was like, do what's right here. And I'm like, oh, well, I love him, so that's easy. But that's not normally how it goes. It's not mm-hmm. normally somebody you already know. And so you're, I remember friends of mine were in the process of adopting. And I remember the mom saying, what if I don't love the child? Like, what if I don't have a connection? Um, that's deep and feeling. And that does happen. Maybe those conversations need to happen more. I know another couple who've adopted. And one of the parents said to me, um, I'm having a really hard time connecting with this child and I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't love this child the way I love my other child and I feel terrible about it. I don't know how to jumpstart that in my heart. I don't know how to make that happen. I don't think that means you don't adopt. I think that means you just accept that we're messy people, we're broken people, we're filled with sin. We don't do things perfectly and we need to move in confident dependence on Jesus Christ who has enough love for us and for the kids that we welcome into our home we have to lean hard on that but I think we're afraid to it's a scary thought I don't blame people I didn't have this kid come into my life because I'm amazing he showed up on my door I'm not one of those heroes who said we will and I know those people in my church who are like we will do this work it's God's work he's called us to it we're going to do it I think they're beautiful people um but it's, it's a scary thought. It's a hard thought. 
It's it's interesting. I just hearing you talk about that sparks in my mind just the in the just utter individualism of our culture. Mm. And uh, there's a book called Surprise the World that really has affected me in, in my view of like missional living mm. and, and so on. I highly recommend it. Mm. Um, but like just even looking at like my neighbor doesn't even want to share a lawnmower with me right. or like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, no, right. like, like he snow blows his driveway up to the property line mm. and then like goes back. Like we're such an individualistic mm-hmm. society that like every home has a vacuum cleaner. Every mm-hmm. home has a lawnmower. Right. Every home has like two cars mm-hmm. and whatever. It's like, there's no thought of inclusion or family or like what would it look like if we did we did life together Mm -hmm. with the people on our street or Mm -hmm. like that's not even that's not even close to being part of our mindset as a culture and so i i think of like how surprising or how subversive is the jesus way Mm. to say it cornily but to like be on the lookout Mm -hmm. for opportunities to be in family and connection and like joining with and um it's so surprising and it's so attractive i think because people people are lonely people are feeling disconnected and those sorts of things and and i think it's a great opportunity and a great challenge for us as the church to think about those for sure i love that i wonder if we were to do things like um you know, before we start adopting and fostering children, if we were to do things like knock on a neighbor's door and say, can I shovel your driveway? Or no, don't even knock, just shovel the driveway. Or if we were to invite someone over for dinner to do those small acts of hospitality and family and home with people that we love, I wonder if what we would find is that um, our capacity for love would enlarge and our belief that God will meet us as we spend ourselves for our neighbor that he will provide all of our needs according to our riches and glory. So as we pour out our financial resources, you know, or as we pour out our physical resources by shoveling somebody's driveway, whatever it may be, we'll be like, yeah, like that was a beautiful thing to do. God bless me in it. My relationship with my neighbor is getting great. I'm amazed that God meets me in all of these things. I'm I'm not as burnt out as I thought, or it wasn't as weird or awkward or, you know, I can still binge watch Netflix and shovel my neighbor's driveway. I'm not going to lose out entirely. Like good things can still, I wonder if our faith would grow and then maybe things like adoption and foster wouldn't be quite so scary or radical. The another thing, hashtag Dawn is amazing. Uh, <laughs> AK your wife. Yeah, AK my have. wife. Well, I'm I like, also think she's amazing. So like, is these, that a real hashtag, by the way? It should be. It should be. It should be. be. <laughs> Don is amazing. Don should have a whole fan club. <laughs> as should Wendy now. No. Oh, yeah. I'm going to start I'll it. I'll support hashtag Don is amazing. <laughs> so, um, so in our neighborhood, there's a bunch of families. We're kind of friends and so on. And, and I don't know if it was Don's idea in the first place or whatever, but we've created this Facebook group called I Have, I Need. Um, Amazing. And um, I love that. Yes. So where I'm going with this is it's one thing to um, to be willing to go shovel the neighbor's driver to go and give. Mm. But it's another thing to open up your need yeah. and say, I need this thing. Because that's true in in our society and in our home and so on. Like if I need sugar, I can just go to the store and get it. Yeah. Or if I need... If I need anything, I can just go get it. Mm. But to open up our need to our neighbors and say, like, 
there's one part of like convenience. Mm. Um, I don't have to drive all the way to the store yeah. or whatever, but it's also like, I need this thing. Does anyone have it? Mm-hmm. And um, my best friend lives five doors down. And so we're always like, oh, of course we'll do that. Yeah. But Don's always like, no, like, <laughs> yeah, don't go to them first because of course they have it. And of course we can do it wait to see so if good. if some of the other people can join in because we're building I love Don. <laughs> hashtag don hashtag, is amazing hashtag don is amazing don, if you're listening to this i love you we were driving back from holidays once my son had his car and then we had our van and the engine just died and we're and we were at belleville and we were coming home so we were stuck we had the cat the dog amazing. and then like five kids in the car and kieran and me so we had our son go over to our neighbor, Doug, and say, can we borrow, can I drive your car to go get my family? And Doug's like, well, the insurance doesn't let you because of his age. And Doug was like, can I go out and pick up your family? We're like, well, the dog's there and the cat's there. He's like, yeah. So our neighbor, Doug, has Huntington's disease, so he's unable to work. And it's it's a degenerative disease, and um, it's actually been terrible to watch him and his family suffer through this him being unable to do things that he could do so well before can i and i was like no 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 and then his wife called and said please would you let doug do this because he sometimes feels like he has nothing to offer and he would be so happy to do this he came all the way out there he picked us up let my smelly dog and my cat into his car and then us on top of it and he was so generous and joyful and funny and I would say that our relationship just deepened. So to your point of not just giving to the neighbor, like I'm going to save you and help you, but letting them come in and help you too. Giving them your need. Yeah, giving them your need. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful idea. I love that. And just the idea that like how much dignity you probably gave him as well too, as someone who mm. feels like he doesn't have much to offer. Mm. And then to say, yes, please give me, like mm. I have a need that you can meet. Like, mm. ugh just my heart and issues so of, of pride and not wanting to be an inconvenience made me initially say no and his wife had to like text and say please would you do this okay okay yana we'll do that they're great neighbors but shout i love out that to doug yeah <laughs> shout out to awesome doug <laughs> i guess to kind of go on the flip side then what do you think the church and you can use that mm-hmm. you know in your small sphere of the church mm-hmm. if you'd like um is actually doing well when mm-hmm. it comes to adoption yeah, I think there are a lot of different um, organizations that are moving into this sort of sphere really intentionally, and it's kind of it's kind of spreading. I feel like there is some kind of um, a movement within the people of God to do this good work of building home and family with kids who um, are in are in difficult circumstances. Um, two two organizations in particular that I think are really amazing. One is called shoot i think it's called connect care and it's in ottawa um, and the directors are hildy Slute. she attends um, almont hillside church and johanna dick she attends resurrection church in ottawa and it's an organization that purposefully um, connects um, agencies non-for-profit churches with families who are in crisis and um, seeks to help those agencies churches etc to like be equipped to collaborate and to think about how they can love um, not just children, um, you know, who need adoption or foster care, but their families as well. 
Um, I think that's a really, I think that Hildy Slutes and Johanna Dick have a beautiful heart for this work. They actually are foster parents themselves, and they have a lot of insight about how not to be the savior, how not to um, vilify parents or biological parents or caregivers, but to realize that they have an important role in the children's lives and to include them in that. Um, I think they're just two incredible women. I think that's a really great organization. Um, And the other organization I think is pretty cool is Safe Families. It's out of the States and it's now it's now here in Canada. And um, Ryan Michelle, who I think you had on one of your podcasts, he's their board of directors uh, on the board of directors. And uh, this is such a cool organization. So what they do is families who are in crisis, say if they're they're refugees or if a parent has um, like a, a really serious illness where they need to be in hospital and maybe they don't have financial resources or connections within this new country that they're living in. Um, and they have children and they need to go to hospital or they need to get a job or they have to go to English classes or whatever. Um, Safe Families seeks to connect those families with families within the church that can support and offer help. And that's often in the form of like respite care. So they'll have the kids come and live with them so that mom and dad can have like maybe a weekend to take care of the things they do. Or sometimes like two weeks, say if mom is getting chemotherapy treatment or something, and they'll invite the kids into home. They have a really cool program. um, And I think it's called Just One. And the tagline is one group, one family, one year. And the idea is if you're a discipleship group or if you're a a small group or, or even a business or whatever, there's a collective group of people who have a heart for this, they can sort of walk alongside one family for one year offering things like, hey, can I help you mow your lawn? You don't have a lawnmower. Or would, you, would it be helpful if you had some meals? Because I know you're doing night classes and then your kids are coming home from school. Can I help your kids with their schoolwork? Do you and your husband want like a, a weekend getaway where you just need to have take rest and respite? Then they can come to my house. And of course, everybody is police checked and they're trained and equipped. But I think those are two fantastic ministries that could open um, the church's heart and eyes to the orphan um, and to their families and maybe help us to take small steps towards them and that kind of um, call that James has to love the orphan and the widow that's pure and undefiled religion. Wonderful. It's that moment. Every podcast, this is every. It's not just often, it's every. Mm. We give our guests the final word. Mm. So this word can be about adoption. It can be about hashtag Kieran is awesome. It could he be is. yeah, <laughs> or hashtag Doug is awesome. Yeah, or uh, Don. Yeah, she doesn't yes. know Don, but <laughs> I believe it though already. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be a hashtag. You can. You can. Your final word can be whatever you want it to be, mm-hmm. and it's just something that you want to leave our listeners with, and then we'll we'll close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Yeah, there's. Um, I went to a reconciliation conference and a woman whose name is Judy Dabbler was teaching that. And she said something that just was crazy to me. And this is what she said. She said, Lona, the greatest acts that believers can do on this earth is to move toward their neighbor in love and not away from them in fear. And so um, when I feel myself, it's been personally helpful when I feel myself wanting to move away from somebody to not respond to them in friendship or to not even answer the door. Sometimes when the doorbell rings, I hide because I don't want to answer the door or the phone. Do you feel that? Oh, yeah. I just have to ask myself, like, what would it mean to move towards that person in love? What could that look like? Sometimes moving towards somebody in love can be, you know, 
it can be actually a rebuke, calling them on something. Sometimes it means taking a coffee over to my neighbor Doug or something. Sometimes it means inviting somebody in your home to live for a season. But I would say no matter how God, um, where God has called you, no matter what you're doing, to remember that you are Christ's workmanship. You are his workmanship. And he has prepared in advance good works for you to do that you may walk in them. And I don't know where the listeners are. I don't know how God has called them to be in this broken world. But lift up your eyes like Jesus did. Look at the crowds. See that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And be moved with compassion. And move towards them in that love. That love which dwells within you richly because the Spirit of Christ lives in you. Whatever that looks like. And for students, keep exploring this idea of adoption and fostering. It, it has meant everything to me that there was a family that was willing to love me as their own all of my life. It has radically shaped and changed who I am. Um, you can experience a love with a kid that just will blow your mind and you will um, be forever shaped and changed by it. If this is anything that is in your heart, I would say just explore that, seize that, talk to people who have been adopted or who have adopted, find out what that looks like, ask what the pitfalls are, ask what the challenges are, ask for all the messy truth, but man, move forward in that love, keep moving forward, walk in those good works that God has prepared you to do. Adopting and fostering is Christ's heart. You are being like your heavenly father when you do it. So. Uh, do it and then get in touch with me and let me know how it's going because I love to hear those stories. It has been a distinct <laughs> pleasure to have this conversation with you today and I hope that our listeners enjoy it half as much at least as mm-hmm. we did because mm-hmm. they will be blessed Yeah, uh, to hear your wisdom and the things that God has taught you through your life and uh, it is no surprise that you are a discipleship pastor mm-hmm. and uh, thank you so much for being with us today, Wendy. Yeah, thank you so much. We laughed, I cried, and so... (laughs) Multiple times. Multiple times. It's a delight. Thank you for the conversation. It's actually, there's been some points of challenge, things that I know I probably should explore in my own heart and life. So thank you for that. And we'll see our listeners next time on Undiscussed.